Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Bradley Wigan Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, quite the finish at the Giro in store. Uh, another amazing day in the high mountains, hopefully to come tomorrow. Didn't get one today. No. But also we had one hell of a lively start at the Vuelta. Uh, these late autumn grand tours, as our old friend Brendan Gallagher uh, said to me today, have got quite a bit going for them. Yeah, I found it a, a little bit too hectic from a broadcasting point of view because there's a lot to watch. Yeah. Flanders wasn't too bad, but it's quite difficult keeping your eye on two races at once. Yeah. Particularly seeing how they develop and stuff. And I found myself watching Flanders more on Sunday because I like watching it. Because it's Flanders, yeah. But again, you know, we're covering the Giro, then we watched the last bit of the Vuelta and you don't see the build-up to it. So it's quite difficult to be able to pass comment and opinion afterwards, you know, when you haven't really watched the whole race. So, and I guess as fans, people watching as well, it must be quite difficult to choose which race to watch, but only because they're overlapping. And that that's the bit I'm not keen on, but I like the frequency, the way the races are coming at us, thick and fast. Thick and fast indeed. So stage 17 of the Giro d'Italia, let's start with that. The climb to Madonna di Campiglio today, 203 kilometres Ben O'Connor opening up the first serious gap from a break of 19, and he yeah. soloed away to victory. And um, making up for yesterday. Making up for yesterday when he came in second, he was um, outfoxed on the final climb by Jan Tratnik. I really felt like he deserved it after yesterday's efforts. He did, but he earned it as well. You know, no one deserves anything in this sport. Um, you go out and earn it, and he put that to right today. I mean, it's an amazing effort, just psychologically as well. This is a guy who's 24, without contract for next year, probably... Felt really disappointed last night that he had the legs to win it and went out on a mission today, whereas a lot of people would have sort of down in the dumps and that. So really made up for him. Brilliant, brilliant ride. Before we go any further, here's how Rob Hatch called it for us on Eurysport. NTT, desperate to continue, searching for PR and they're going to get the very best of it right here because Ben O'Connor is going to be the latest of the legion of young riders making a name in 2020. Yesterday went out and fought up against a rider from Bahrain McLaren. He was done like a kipper in the last couple of kilometers tactically, but today he's gone out there once more. He's fought yet again, and from a break of 19, O'Connor, classy and very, very strong to the line. The finish in Madonna di Campiglio awaits. Marco Pantani, Mikel Landa, Ben O'Connor. And from a breakaway, NTT looking for salvation. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Second 24 hours ago, on top of the world today, and on top of Madonna di Campiglio, Ben O'Connor is the winner of stage 17 of the Giro d'Italia from the breakaway. 
Brad, not just an important win for Ben O'Connor, but an important win for NTT, a team that's looking for a sponsor yeah. for next year. How encouraged will they be after today? Do you know what? I've no idea. Because of the lateness of the season, I don't know where they're at with potential sponsors coming in. Will Does a stage win in the Giro automatically change the situation? I don't. I, I really don't know. I mean, obviously wins help and showing that jersey and sponsor off, but it, is it too late in the day? Obviously, it can't do any harm, but I don't think there's been much communication as to whether it's over over next year, is it, from that team point of view? I, well, it's, I mean, it's their first win in three years and, and everything that we've been, we've been hearing throughout the season has not necessarily been the most encouraging for, for their uh, longevity for next year. Well, I imagine um, it's also very difficult, the state of the world, is to go out and find a, somebody who wants to put 10 million because... I guess a lot, lots and lots of people have. Um, it's had an impact this year, isn't it? COVID yeah, for and, sure. On financial sectors and things like that. So it's probably the worst year for them to be looking for it, isn't it? Just to dwell a little bit more on O'Connor. Um, his so his performance today, having been uh, having it having been taken taken away from him at the last yesterday. How difficult is that for him to be able to psych himself up to go again, or for, for any rider to be able well, to psych yourself up after such a big performance? Yeah. I mean, as I said before. You know, lots of people would be down in the dumps, and he's clearly got a uh, you know good positive mindset, and has gone out and wanted to rectify. But he um, he instigated it, the, the winning move today as well, and um, took it on. Clearly, had unfinished business and um, pulled it off in spectacular style. Mm. Um, and you saw what it meant to him again at the end. It's quite been, it's been really good seeing these people that are without contract. And the display of emotion in what the wins mean to them this late in the season after such a difficult year. And it's 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 just really nice to watch. We're getting late in the race now too. And Joao Almeida uh, for De Kernink hanging on to the Malia Rosa for another day. De Kernink looking once again incredibly strong riding on yeah. the front for him. Uh, they've got to really start to be believing now. Well, whether they believe or not, I think they've got faith in this guy as he's repaid them back for the work they've put in. They've got a great team spirit there. They came to this, they were always coming to this race to do well because before Remco's crash in Lombardy, the leaders changed names and it's it's um, Almeida and he's ridden above expectation for himself and the team, I imagine. It's already been a success for them in the way that he's ridden. And um, I think they're just, you know, they're, they're going to do their job to the end and if they'll all go down dying together if, if he doesn't pull it off. But it might just be a step beyond him with where Kelderman is lying, just poised. Um, but that's not to say Seven, Kelderman... 17 seconds. That's not to say Kelderman isn't going to have a bad day up the Stelvio. I mean, you just don't know. Yeah. There will be gaps on the Stelvio, not just seconds, but minutes to some people. Mm. You know, it's it's an hour, 20, hour and 30 climb. Weather could change drastically going up it. Um, it. It could all be tipped upside down tomorrow. Yeah. Almeida has said this evening that he likes the Stelvio. Yeah. Um, and the Stelvio is now confirmed. So there was, we, we were talking hey, about look, last you know time we I mean? spoke whether or not it would actually be included. I like the moonwalk, but I can't do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? at the end of the day, you like it as much as you like. You go out and you, you've got to perform physically. And I know what he means by that. You know, on, in, on his day, that's the type of climb that he likes, you know, mm. long grind and that. Mm. So let's hope he's got the good legs and, and he's able to, to perform. Another team that we saw who obviously mean business again today, um, Ineos, Rowan Dennis up the front in the break. Yeah. Uh, but then with 10Ks to go, Filippo Ganna to the front, marshalling the troops behind uh, and charging to the finish for Teo. 
Um, so there, as, as much as De Koenig clearly believe in Almeida, uh, Ineos really believe in Teo as well. Well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't after that stage win the other day? Yeah. He's like a new, he's, he's really come of age. His demeanour, the way he's riding on the bike, sprinted in for that 11th place today. You know, he's he's he looks like the complete package now. Mm. You know, he's no longer a talent. He's no longer a future prospect. He's now the Giro d'Italia for one of the biggest teams in the world. It was a British rider who's already won a Grand Tour stage, who's now third in the Giro with four or five days to go. And he's the real deal. He's made it. You've spoken to him this evening as well, haven't you? And he said he said that the climb today wasn't difficult enough for him to make any sort of difference. Um, he said it wasn't difficult enough to do any damage, um, but well, not from him personally, but I think just from a general... GC perspective. Yeah, for other riders to attack. So they, lots of them must have been thinking that. So, But it shows that he's not on the limit. Mm. Wasn't he didn't say it was hard today. Um so for for him to say that, you know, he's um like I said, I can't wait to see how he goes tomorrow. And for for all the talk since his stage went in the mountains, um so I I want to bring this up because uh so you sent him and what was an incredibly warm and supportive message. Uh and, and you played it to me. Um and so so it's it's not something for us to play out on the pod because it's a it's a personal thing between the two of you. Lots of um, swearing in it. It's quite they, well, it's lo- but all from the point of view of encouragement. Um but there's there's been suggestions uh that, that you might be jealous of Teo, for example, for winning a mountain yeah. stage. Uh when whenever we talk about him, certainly, or whenever you, you know, you, you're talking about him on the breakaway on Eurosport, there's nothing but pride. And, and there's, al- there's always an awful lot of warmth that, that Listen, sort of that yeah. comes from you when, when we discuss him. If, if there was any envy watching any British rider, at least of all him, do well in cycling, I'd be quite a tragic, shallow person. Because why wouldn't you watch, wanna enjoy watching other British riders you know, flourish, do well, do even better than you did? Because it's... It's a joy to watch, you know, and um, I think you'd have to be something missing in your life if you sat there sort of wishing, hoping people didn't do well. But he's just, um, he's a lovely guy on and off the bike. He's a real champion, you know, he's a role model in in many senses, not to put that tag on him, but people will look up to him. Kids will, my son will look up to him. He's everything I wasn't in some cases and everything when I look back that I probably wanted to be. Um, in the way he handles himself and the way he carries himself, and um, you know, he's a, he's a true inspiration for, for British cycling and the path he's took to get there. And that team have got um, should be, you know, it's a priv- it should be a privilege for Ineos to have him. You know, sometimes it gets looked the other way. It should be a, it's a privilege for these young British riders to be on a team like Ineos with the history and everything everyone's done. But sometimes it works the other way, and it, they should look at it as a privilege to have someone like Taylor on their team. And you can see the warmth that, that as I say, you, you know, your, your eyes light up whenever we do talk about him. When you were coming up, when you were Teo's sort of age, were you compared to uh, the riders that have gone before you? Like, I always think of Chris Boardman because of your prowess in the TT, even though you were, in a yeah. lot of other ways, very different riders. I don't think I was. On the track I was, but I was also the first of a lot of success as well. So I was the first British Junior World Champion. And then after that, obviously, the natural sort of tag was, you know, he could be the next Chris Borman and win the Olympic individual pursuit and then maybe go on to do prologues in the Tour de France. So he was the natural person to, to kind of emulate or people would say you would emulate, although we were quite different riders. So it was quite difficult because we didn't have the wealth, the crop of success 
like we do now for people to be referenced to, mm. if that makes sense. You know, when I was 18 and won the Junior Worlds, no one had ever been Junior World Champion. So it was a first. And then when I won the Olympics in Athens, it was only Chris Borman had gone before and done that. And so from that point on, there, there was no other, it was only like Chris, like I said, Chris Borman, David Miller. I suppose it, I used to look up to David Miller and think if I could win the prologue of the tour like he'd done in 2000. But I guess we were all the first wave not that people hadn't gone before, like Simpson and Hoban, to you know, I must mention, but of of sort of modern day um, at that time in sort of the two thousands, you know, um, other than Chris Borman, of course, Robert Mill and Sean Yates, there wasn't a whole host of riders to be referenced with. Mm. Yeah, the one last thing I've got to come to on today's Giro stage was that it ended um, on Madonna di Campiglio where, of course, Marco Pantani was kicked out of the Giro in 1999. I wanted to ask you what your memories were of that as a, as a cycling fan and, uh, and as someone who was just starting to make his own career. I, can, I think we were at a race somewhere, um, not really watching the Giro at that time because we were racing, I was 19 by then, and I, c- I could just remember someone saying, oh, such a, Marco's been kicked out of the Giro today or whatever, and I, I, I have no real memories of it, if I'm honest. Mm. Because by the time I was 19, I was trying to pave my own way and trying to concentrate on the Olympics and get in a pro contract. And we'd all as a group, me, Charlie Wigeli, Shantabak, all kind of living together that year, had become a little bit too cool for school to watch cycling, if that makes sense. You know, because we were now trying to, and we weren't the 15, 16 year olds sitting down watching it going, look at the shoes he's wearing. So it moved on a little bit. And yeah we didn't really pay any interest in it. So I don't really have any great override memories because I think lots happened that. The, the demise of Frank Vandenbroek in 99. Same year, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I remember, I remember where I was when I heard that he died um, in 2004. Yeah. I was at the Tour of Mediterranean. I was rooming with Tour Hushovd and we, Bobby Julik had come in the room and was talking with us and Tour and, and then Bjorn Rees came down the corridor and our door was open. He came in to the room. So it was me, Torshov, Bjorn Rees from Denmark and um, Bobby Julek. And he said, Marco Perentrani has just died. He, and he, he, was, he couldn't believe it. He was in shock. And he just said something like, it's so sad. And he was just shaking his head like Bjorn. So it was Bjorn Rees that broke the news to us. And the year before that, in 2003, I'd ridden my first Giro and Pantani rode. So I raced with him. And that is actually a really lovely thing to be able to say that you raced with Marco Pantani to my son and stuff. He's, he's like one of them iconic. And in death, they become more iconic because there's a nostalgia and a romanticized, hence why we're talking about it now. They become, you know, like music stars, you know, Amy Winehouse, people like that. In death, there's a, there's a, a romanticized kind of nostalgia about it. And Marco's one of them within cycling because of the, the character that he is. Mm. And, um, so that adds, try, I don't know, I'm trying to work out if that's is it a bit of a morbid, horrible thing to say that you kind of take joy in the fact you're racing. But I did, I was, it was, I was proud to have raced with him, but also at the same time, the tragedy surrounding his death was, um, he was just, he shined too bright for this world really, mm. even if he wasn't a cyclist. But he was a man of the people and that's why they love him. 
Indeed. Well, Marco Pantani's um, triumph on Madonna di Campiglio to tragedy is a story you can hear in full on the Recycle podcast by Eurosport. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing, and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show, sponsored by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Brad, today's other Grand Tour stage, the Vuelta Stage 2, a real killer of a day's racing for everybody. 151.6 kilometres with three categorised climbs. The first Category 1 ascent of the race, which led to a rapid 17-kilometre descent to the line. Fireworks yesterday on Stage 1, won by Primoz Roglic. More fireworks again on Stage 2. They're already racing it like it's the third week. I suppose they've no choice because this would have been four or five days in now anyway. It yeah, just because it's been the, cut the rescheduled short, welter. It's now the first few days, which has been brutal, hasn't it? Um, hasn't it just? I only saw the last descent, obviously, once we'd finished the Giro and the run into the finish. But well, a real select group there. Yeah, into I mean, the finish. and Soler's attack on that descent, and you know some some old names there. Valverde, of course, must be his fortieth welter. This um, <laughs> it must be close. But Rolich, you know, I think we were talking. I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast towards the end of the Tour de France. We certainly did it on on the breakaway, talking about the fear of how Rolich was going to come back from that defeat, and the sort of sense of humiliation and stuff. He's been brilliant. He's taken it on, hasn't and he? I, I said on breakaway, I think it was Sean Kelly said, he, he needs to get straight back to it because that's been his, I mean, he's won the age, he's up to the Worlds, he's now leading the world to again and the Tour de France is well, because someone had said, um, what's this going to do to him? You know, will he ever get over this? And he clearly has, so good on him. As you say, Soler gunning it to solo to victory uh, on home turf for Movistar. Before we go any further, here's how Carlton Kirby called it for us on Eurosport. The rain is coming, but not on the parade of uh, Marc Soler, it seems. And it has been a parade, hasn't it? A display, you might say, of uh, outstanding fortitude. Well, and good planning as well, let's add, for Movistar. They timed it brilliantly. Soler is going to come home. He's going to get the victory that was denied him last year. And uh, all that pent-up emotion that he displayed in terms of disappointment is going to flood away. He'll forget about that. He knows he's got it. He's banging a drum here. And the resonance, the sound of that can be heard. It's he that set the beat today. And he has beaten absolutely everybody. Wonderful stuff. Mark Soler went for Movistar. We started off at their home base today in Pamplona. Well, they, he has come home. And he's run, not with the Bulls, but run everyone else into the ground. 
brilliant work by he and you can see they're cat and mousing just behind for those bonus seconds they're going to be having a sprint Soler takes this we'll leave him to his celebrations right now we look back and it's uh, it's Roglic himself in the red jersey that's uh, up towards the fourth center of uh, proceedings Dan Martin is, uh, is uh, uh, no longer part of uh, this I'm afraid but uh, uh, afraid to say but uh, oh, there he is Dan Martin is coming up but it's going to be Roglic I think it is with Dan Martin in third place and there is Carapace that's how they finished but uh, Carapace missing out on bonus seconds uh, Dan Martin picking up a few which is great news for him an important victory for Movistar on home turf as I said do they look like a different outfit to you now that Quintana has gone and they've got that so the, the three we saw at the finish there with Valverde Enrique Mass and, and the eventual winner um, I don't know really we haven't seen much of them all year have we really it's only their second win and, and yeah, so they took their I think, first I think the sort of lockdown thing they're one of the teams like a few others that, you know, it's, I mean, CCC, you know, another one really, they just haven't got it together. Mm. Movistar are kind of a team that very old fashioned as well. They like racing a lot. Um, and this is their biggest race of the year. The and they always target the Vuelta. Um, I don't think it's anything to do with Quintana really. I think it's just, um, it's more to do with the fact that they, they just didn't handle the lockdown very well, really. And they're a team that train quite old fashioned and, rely on a lot of racing and and will do anything to win at the Volta, you mm. know and, and the team's from Pamplona Miguel Indurain's from Pamplona lives there it was a, it was a huge they you know they had to win today Soler going off the front wouldn't have bothered Roglic too much I mean that, that in a way quite suited him because he just had to sit in he had I don't uh, think the plan was for Soler to go off the front because he was riding before that yeah and he so who was he riding for was he riding for Mass or was he riding for well, Valverde well I imagine Valverde winning in Pamplona would have been huge yeah but and his attack was sort of unusual and in an unusual place, but was more to tee up if they'd have ridden him down a following attack from someone like Alessandro yeah. or Mass. Yeah. They were starting to play the numbers game, but as it worked out, they didn't chase him down and he, won he got his reward. So it, it was not the winner they'd probably planned to tactically, but they got the win anyway. But he wouldn't have been, as we saw on that stage to Andorra, he wouldn't have been allowed to do that last year. He'd have been called back. Yeah, but I think Andorra was much more um, likely to play a, a significant part of the GC. Mm. Whereas a stage like today, this early on in the race, it, it was about the team winning. Yeah, you're a lot freer. And it wasn't really, a, it wasn't a hilltop finish or anything like that. Yeah. So he was just a, a carrot out there, Yeah, which paid off for him, I guess. But um, whereas with something like Andorra, they needed him back because it's about firing the main players up the road. When you're in a select group of rivals like that, on the, as we saw on that descent to the finish, how much communication and cooperation is there between you? Oh, nothing. Nothing. The, you know, if someone goes off the front like that and they're all expecting someone like Rolic to do the chasing or work, there might be a few Fs and Jeffs going around and this, that and the other. But very rarely is there anything like, in some scenarios there would be where it suits everyone to ride. Mm. Um, you know, come on, let's just work together. This suits all of us. But everyone's, you know, but... When it's like that and it's a tactical cat and mouse, then, you know, there's there's nothing really. Good to see Hugh Carthy up there. In Brilliant. That group. Yeah, he's um, he's another one, isn't he? Doing, doing well and um, good on him. Well done, Hugh. Uh, so Roglic, by virtue of picking up a few bonus seconds on the line, extends his lead at the top of the GC. Dan Martin, uh, now second, nine seconds down. Uh, obviously, it's early days. Richard Carapaz, uh, 11 seconds down. On Ineos... We've got to mention Chris Froome. Yeah. Out the back again, came in nearly 19 minutes down today. We saw him lose a lot of time on the first stage as well. Lost 12 minutes. 
we're we're kind of seeing um, almost the ghost of the of the man we knew, aren't we? Um, it's funny, isn't it? When you're Chris Froome, everything you do in any bike race, he's going to be picked up on. Even the time losses each day. If he'd gone flat out, he might have finished four minutes down. But he would have picked a point in the race where, okay, that'll do, that'll be enough. And he'll get in a group and that group might lose half an hour. If they carry on chasing, he'll be at the back, he might lose five minutes. It's almost sort of added to it, you know, the kind of, I lost 19 minutes. People add that on as if to reflect the state of him physically. Mm. Um, I actually think, I wouldn't put it past him winning a stage at the end of this race. Forget the time losses. I mean, nothing. You can lose three hours. It don't matter. Mm. The fact he's in the race and present, you know, I think we should all respect the fact that it's great to see him back on a bike after what he went through last year. And um, is the next winner of the Walter? You know, I, I don't think we should sit here kind of calling him a shadow of his former self. I mean, he's alive and well, and he's still the same person he was. And let's not forget why the road he's taken to get back to here. You know, I think because it was through no fault of his own. He had a horrendous crash, which nearly ended his career and his life. So it's probably a bit unfair to say he's a shadow of the former man. It's like more the case that, you know, probably never expected him to see him at the Vuelta last, last mm. June. So, yeah. I'm surprised to see him at the Vuelta though. And I'm surprised that, that Dave B picked him to go at all. Um, given, Why? What given what he's shown so far, because he clearly doesn't have the form. Um, unless like you say, he is, he is capable of riding himself in and, and winning a stage later in the race. Yeah, I'm not surprised that we picked him because it's the respect he, he's due. I mean, the guy had a contract, he crashed. He's been through probably, you know, all sorts to get back to where he is today. So is his family. And while he's under contract, you've got to give him a chance to race. And the respect he deserves as a Grand Tour winner is to be able to do a Grand Tour. Okay, maybe not the Tour de France, fair due, but to not select him for the Walters, you know, Chris Froome, it's, you know, he's got to give him some sort of opportunity for next year. And it's, his presence will be enough in that team. And, you know, so it was no brainer. There's not no surprise for me, no. Mm. And what about looking ahead for him for next season at Israel Startup Nation? Will his presence alone be enough? Or will they will they be expecting, presumably they will be expecting more from him? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's Chris Fruman. While he's on a bike, he wants to win. He'll want to win more than anyone. But he's on a road of recovery and he's on a road back. And, you know, this vault is part of that. Yeah. I imagine the goals for him in this world are, let's get through a grand tour, you know, forget the time losses. That, um, if you physically pick up during the races that third week, he'll pick a day and I'm sure we'll see him up the road some point challenging. But finishing the Walter as part of the process for next season is probably key for him at the moment. So it's not about, well, he's got to perform next year. It's like, well, it's one step at a time, you know, mm. he's, he's, kind of deserves that respect. Tomorrow's stage, another real killer, a Category 1 finish to the line, another day of constant climbing, um, it seems. The, rope, the road ramps up immediately, never lets up. There are so many difficult days and so many mountaintop finishes at this Giro. Can, yeah. can, can the main men sustain the pace here? Well, someone's got to, and whoever does is going to win the race. I mean, the world is just like that. It's brutal. You can't keep, can't keep track of it. No easy days, no easy starts, you know. We'll have a lull mid-race at some point where people will be four hours down, some people, and it'll just be 300k up a motorway. And it, but that's the nature of the world. It's always like that. Yeah. You know, it's just um, great to watch. But, you know, for someone like Rolich, it's like, well, I've got to keep my troops together. 
Yeah, we, got defend be, this, we got to defend this for two and a half weeks. <laughs> they'll be well capable of that. I mean, as they showed at the tour, he's, he's more or less got his A-team there again with him. Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, it's just mentally, isn't it? It's a long old, old way, but look, he's in the race and we'll see what happens. He probably may let the jersey go at some point, but it's it's a tough one, the Volta. There's yeah. no easy pattern to it. You know, it's uh, full and frantic as we've seen. And while we're on Jumbo Visma, Tom de Moulin um, said he was co-leader going in lost a bit of time yesterday again didn't look like he was yeah. he was capable of sustaining the pace I mean, it was Sepkus and George Bennett we saw up there at the, yeah. the finish yeah I mean I can't I don't really know much about that situation other than what, what we've heard really but I guess he'll be disappointed um, again you know in defence of Tom Dumoulin it's kind of easy to think oh he looks a bit stupid now but you know we asked for a lot of openness from the riders about you know who's sure. leader and that and they're kind of lots of times they're a bit coy like oh you know we don't know at this stage and Tom's just said yeah at the moment I'm co-leader you know and but then it didn't work out, and sort of, you know, oh, oh he looks stupid now. It's like, you know what I mean? It's sort of a bit. It's, I mean, it's a straight. It's a straight answer actually to a straight question. Uh, you know, I, he has gone in as co-leader. Yeah, I mean, the hard start to the race we've had as well. You know, it's you've got to be on it straight away, and there's no yeah. sort of warming up into the event. But you know, Tom will be disappointed. But I don't think he's going to lose sleep over it. I don't. Mm. You know, it's just um, as I said to you with cycling. You know, you do you, you can go in and do all the numbers in training, but stage one, mountaintop finish, Vuelta Espana. It's um, quite a shock to the system. A difficult day elsewhere too. Three days of Japan, one day race, 48 kilometre per hour winds. A real day for the, the wind-loving hard men. Um, we saw Matthew van der Poel in the leading group with 16 kilometres to go. And we saw him um, blown off the bike in the heavy winds. Right. I mean, he was, he was looking for all the shelter he could find at the side of the road. And that's, I, I guess that's what you get on, the, on those real windy days on that sort of terrain. Yeah. Um, is riders trying to take up every inch of road yeah, to exactly, find every yeah. advantage they can get. Um, and he's he's gone over his handlebars and into a ditch. Um, yeah. And real hard fall. Um, we think he's he's got a suspected concussion this evening. Blimey. Uh, a real De Kernick quick step masterclass though. Yves Lampere, uh, the eventual winner. Tim de Klerk, uh, second, 21 seconds down. And Tim Merlier, Matthew van der Poel's Alperson Phoenix teammate coming in in third place. What's it like riding those riding those roads when it's that windy though? Um, well, it's, it's brutal. Um, you know, you're, you're fighting with the wind, you know, you're trying to keep your head up with the riders. It's just, it's, it, I never enjoyed it. You know, I, I kind of like the finesse of cycling and, and the small movements, the small accelerations of the bike and, and where the bike takes you. But when you're fighting against the conditions, whether it's driving rain and wind and things, some riders love it, some riders hate it. And, um, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not, it was never my cup of tea, you know. I'd rather fight the bike and the other riders than having to fight the elements. And then it becomes more about positioning and being out, being sheltered. And if you just miss out on that shelter, you know, you, you, you could be as strong as you like, but the wind will always push you back and a moving chain of riders in a crosswind, all sheltering each other and working together as one will always move away and outpower a single rider as, as strong as they are because they just didn't get the shelter. And that that getting that shelter is about getting on the back in a very small gap onto that echelon. And, and like you see with Van der Poel, the wind and, and you know, the edge of the road took him away. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. I mean, he was working hard on the front there as well, presumably sure for Merlier. Um, and, and down to earth with a, with a bump after after having won Flanders yeah. with such a sensational performance at the weekend. Well, that's bike racing, isn't it? That's how it goes, you know. Um, I'm sure he's not going to be deterred by it because he's um, he's a hard man. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Brad, 
Thanks, as ever, for your thoughts. Thank you. We can follow you on social media at Sir Wigo. Sir Wigo. And you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, as ever, to our producer, podcast Pete, Pete Burton. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. Your podcast platform of choice is where you can subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us. Brad, enjoy the rest of the week. I'll see you again for the Giro's big finish, the TT, on Sunday, yeah. uh, which is also Tourmalet Day at the Vuelta, so Cycling Super Sunday. God, yeah. I can't keep up with it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll do our best. Would have been Paris-Roubaix, wouldn't it? It would also have been Paris-Roubaix, yeah, rather so. ridiculously, yeah. yeah. So lots to look forward to and daily podcasts from you. Until then. Dailypods.com. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.